Hello, and welcome to the August edition of the Cinetopia radio show and podcast. I'm Amanda, your host from Cinetopia, and on this show today, we'll be reviewing four films. First up, our thoughts on Barbenheimer, both Barbie and Oppenheimer still selling out in cinemas globally. The second part of our show will be our continued coverage of the Edinburgh International Film Festival, which starts this week in Edinburgh. We'll be reviewing two films that are part of the festival, the first being Passages, directed by Ira Sachs, which will screen Saturday the 19th of August at EIFF, as well as A Fire, directed by Christian Petzold, screening on the 22nd. It's a great month for cinema in Edinburgh and beyond, so stay tuned for it all. So we are here, August, it's fringe time in Edinburgh, although um, oddly our team here, we're all sort of scattered around the world at the moment, Um, but we're here to talk about uh, film festivals and major cinema phenomena that are happening this summer. Um, And I'm here with Gary and Jim. So Jim, how's it? Have you been? It's been a while. We've chatted a couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Not bad. Um, I finally managed to get to the... um cinema said so, well I, i've moved right so i'm in uh deepest darkest tory country castle grayskull i think that our mutual friend paul bruce called it castle grayskull i've kind of embraced that 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 part of it but i am um, finally managed to get to the some of the local cinemas down here to to see a few things which we'll be be talking about so yeah not too bad not too bad do you have a, a favorite local now that you have moved not really, not yet. Well, I've got one that I think potentially, but I haven't actually made it to it yet. I nearly went to a, a baby and carer screening of Asteroid City with my daughter, but unfortunately, the screen was like right in her nap time, and she's of that age where I don't think she would have fallen quietly asleep. I think it would have been an issue, so I'm going to wait on that one. <laughs> yeah, well, it is quite a film in lots of parts, um, but yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And we're back with Gary. Gary, how have you been? Yeah, I'm really good. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, just in the midst of um, Edinburgh Fringe season, so seeing lots of um, lots of shows. Busy, busy. I'll go. It's good. Great. And you're both um, with your respective um, uh, organizations uh, doing covering as well as Cinetopia today, the Edinburgh International Festival, correct? Film festival. Sorry. Uh, yep, I'll be covering it for uh, Cinema Perspective. Um, we have a couple of interviews um, coming up, but yeah, it looks like a, a really good lineup. What about you, Jim? Yeah, um, so a couple of things myself. So we're going to talk about passages on the show. Um, of I saw that at Sundance earlier in the the year. Um, so I've got a written a review of that, which will come out around about the time this airs. Um, so if you're already listening to this, you can go to takeonecinema.net and probably have a look at it. Um, a fire, uh, probably that as well, and then. Um, some other writers that take one have covered some of the other uh, stuff that's playing. So Connor Lightbody has a review of Femme, uh, Past Lives. I'll talk a wee bit about later, but he's also written a review of that. So there, there's quite a few kicking around, and we'll probably have folk on the ground there seeing things and writing a little bit about stuff that we haven't been able to cover in advance. But yeah, we've got a few things covered in advance, and it's, it's looking like a good festival. It's looking like a good festival. It's good to see it. You know, we'll talk about this more later, but I think it's a it's a good looking festival. Maybe smaller than previous years, but I think they've done pretty well with it. Great, yeah. And then, as as you mentioned, we'll be fully talking about the film festival on the second half or the second part of this 
show. Um, but just, you know, for those who don't get that far, uh, it's this week. Uh, so if you're listening to us on EHFM Live, uh, it's the 18th to the 23rd of August. Um, and it's happening in in collaboration with the Edinburgh International Festival. And all the other festivals obviously are happening um, this month in in uh, Edinburgh. So it's big, it's big season, but we're focusing on film here as we do. Um, but something big and massive happened, film news. And the big thing we'll start with is Barbenheimer. We're a little late to the game. I realize this because in reviewing, uh, because I think it was about three or four weeks ago that uh, that the, over one weekend, two massive big films came out. And um, one of them has made over a billion. The other one, I think, is 600 million. Uh, so that's Barbie and Oppenheimer. Yeah. Did, did, did you both see Barbie and Oppenheimer firstly? And we'll get into reviewing each one. But secondly, did you watch them in any sort of order and or did you watch them uh, on their own? Did you did you follow the 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 craze of doing them together? So uh, I, I think in a previous life, I probably would have done the whole Barbenheimer thing. Right. And I, I, I don't I, I don't know which one I would have seen first. The um the idiosyncrasies and time management of parenthood meant I did not manage to do that this time. Um, So I, I saw Oppenheimer first. um few days after it came out um and then fortunately my in-laws are visiting from the states so me and uh, rachel managed to go see barbie about a week after that something like that so i saw oppenheimer first and then and then barbie which i think watching them on the same day i don't think that's the order to go for i think if you're watching on the same date and i think you maybe go with the lighter one first otherwise you know we'll get into the respective tones of each film but you know i'm not really sure going going from uh off and hour into barbie is maybe the vibe that i'd be looking for to be perfectly honest but yeah, yeah. i think people warned that um that that didn't work really well although uh yeah there was a guardian piece about whatever you do do not do that uh but i tend to disagree with that um, particular person on a regular basis but Gary how about you did you see Barbie and Oppenheimer all on win weekend um, I didn't either I'm kind of the same as Jim I would, would have probably have thrown myself into um, a, a day of both shootings in one day before but uh, yeah uh, work and things got in the way so I saw Barbie on opening night so that first and along with my wife and we were uh, dressed in pink got our photos taken in the Barbie boxes did the whole the whole thing, um, really enjoyed it, and then then I saw Oppenheimer I think the following Tuesday, um, so yes yeah, so I did it in that order, and then I saw Oppenheimer again the following week because one of my friends wanted to see it and uh, he 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 was going in IMAX, so I just saw it in normal 2D the first the first time, so took the opportunity to see it in IMAX as well to see, um, so yeah that's the order I did it in. What about you? Uh, yeah, well, I just so happened to have been planning a trip to Paris. So I was in Paris and I'm I'm only bringing this up. France, I think, got Barbie and Oppenheimer two days before UK and US generally general release. I saw it was able to see Barbie the day before just be when I realized this was happening. And then I saw Oppenheimer um, in 70 millimeter at uh, um at not IMAX, but at the Grand Rex Theater, which is one of the most beautiful cinemas I've been in in my entire life. And if you have to, if if there is anything like this that happens ever again, and you live anywhere near Paris or you're Francophile like myself, I would highly recommend going to see cinema in Paris uh, with this kind of phenomenon because 
it i mean the way people go to cinema in france is incredible you know there's you know everyone gets dressed up it's a big deal and it's like cinema going is massive i mean there was a there was the theater i was in for this oppenheimer was set was 2800 capacity and the lines were like four blocks long all the way around uh to get in i i mean i thought we were going to like an elton john concert or something like that i, I can't i can't quite decide whether this sounds amazing or unbearable well <laughs> at first i was a bit nervous because i have all these particulars now and i guess maybe i'm just getting older and i've seen so i've been to so many cinemas and so many films in the cinema that I like the certain seats. And I was just, you know, there was a bit apprehension of, am I going to be stuck in the middle of a bunch of people? Is it going to be hot? I mean, it was very hot in general, like in Paris at the time. So, but it was phenomenal. Both, both screenings were absolutely phenomenal. I do recommend the Barbie first and then Oppenheimer. I think that fits well, um, you know, with it's a good order, but definitely, definitely, um, if you ever take a trip to Paris, like, and there's a big film on, go to the cinema with the Parisians. They know how to watch films. And they're, yeah, it's just, it was an incredible experience. And I will go to both of those cinemas again. Um, but it was also just really amazing to see every time you walked by, there's so many cinemas, independent cinemas, uh, big, you know, like multiplex cinemas in Paris. But just everyone was in massive lines, um, all, you know, all weekend watching these films. So it really felt exciting. We can I can ask you you both what you think, but I think this was all kind of an accident that happened that these films, you know, were going to be on the same weekend. But in so, in in a lot of ways, this was really good. I think it probably boosted up Oppenheimer's um, box office because of this sort of push. And it certainly boosted, I mean, certainly the money was already put into the marketing for Barbie, but, you know, it, it did real good things for cinema. And I think it brought a lot of positive um, energy back into the idea of going to the cinema. People who had not been to the cinema in years came. How do you guys feel about that? Yeah, I'd, um, I'd agree with that. I think it, it, I find it quite remarkable, actually, right? Because I think, um, especially since the pandemic, I haven't really seen cinemas like that, to be honest. Now, admittedly, part of this is I'm a massive misanthrope um, and I try to go to the cinema at times when it's not busy, right? So, you know, you do need to factor that into my analysis here. But I think the last time I saw cinemas kind of genuinely busy in the UK was probably... So I've got to get my timelines right here. It was probably um, Spider-Man No Way Home, right? There was a lot of people going to see that. And then before that, I think the the last Daniel Craig Bond film was pretty popular, right? But I didn't see anything like this. I mean, like the, so the night I went to see Barbie, I think I went to see it on a Wednesday night. The reason I ended up seeing it on the Wednesday night is because it was sold out on the Tuesday night, which is when I was wow. originally going to go, right? And that's, you know, and we're talking about, it was, a, it was a, a local multiplex I went to. We're not talking about a small screen here. It was a big screen. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's remarkable. Like, like that being sold out on a you know, in the middle of the week. Um, and op even Oppenheimer before that, it was, you know, and it was a few days after release and I went at, uh, you know, a midweek showing in the evening and it was, and, you know, I mean, I live in the southeast of England now, so these cinema tickets are not bloody cheap, let me tell you. Um, but there were a lot of people at that screening and I think it's, you know, in terms of kind of like the volume of people going to the screens, it, it, it it's good to see, right? I haven't really seen that since you know, pre-pandemic and maybe, you know, something like, I don't know, even like The Dark Knight or something like that is the last time I remember seeing that many people kind of like actually crowding into the cinema. So I think it's good, right? You know, I mean, 
as I say, massive business control, but I don't know how into into I am with kind of like, you know, the dressing up in pink and standing Barbie boxes and all the rest of it. But, you know, whatever. People are having fun. People are having fun going to the cinema, right? And that's good to see, right? Because there's been a lot about, you know, uh, how good is the cinema streaming? You know, the, the, there's a lot of conversation around that. Particularly in Edinburgh, actually, with the, you know, in the wake of the film house closure and all, this, all the rest of it. It's like, what role does cinema have? But it does show that, you know, you get... Um, you get a film that appeals, and we'll talk about the relative merits of each film shortly, I'm sure. But yeah, it was good. It was good to see. I like to see people going to the cinema because I like cinema. I want to talk to people about cinema, right? So, and you can only do that if people go to the bloody cinema. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, I can kind of echo what, what you both said. It's great to see so many satellite screenings, not even in the opening weekend, but um, into the into the following week. And even when I saw Oppenheimer the second time and I'm at at, and that was like almost two weeks since it had come out. Um, yeah, I just think it was really great. I was out with uh, friends maybe a week after they all came out, and so many of my friends who don't usually go to the cinema very often were all I, either they had seen them both or they'd seen one, and it was uh, great having that discussion with friends or like colleagues at work. Like it was felt very much part of like the the uh, conversation that week that everybody even if they're not in film, knew about Barbie and Oppenheimer coming out the same day. Um, yeah, I think it's great for cinema, and they're both both really good films as well. Um, but yeah, long may continue. And I think, um, I think, like you said, Jim, I don't think there's been a big release in trying to think of, like, probably, like you said, felt like an event in the way that, like, a new James Bond film kind of feels like an event in the UK. That's really the only thing I think I could compare it to that, or maybe, like, one of the huge, like, Avengers films or something like Infinity War, but um, but yeah, it's really good seeing. I'm a little bit like you, Jim, as well. Where I, I was uh, joking with somebody that like I love that cinemas are busy and that are sellout screening, but I think um, I don't really like being in a sellout screening. I would rather be there when it was just me on my own, ideally. But like, yeah, it's good to see the cinema packed. Well, I love them both. I love, I really love going to the cinema by myself and two people being in the cinema because it feels like my own space. Um, but there's this energy about seeing particular films and, you know, and uh, especially like blockbuster films or films that, you know, are quite like intense or fun or funny or in the case of Barbie, I think that that really fits where being with other people and hearing their laughs and sort of hearing people respond, people clapping when, I mean, people were clapping at the beginning of these films um, and, you know, some at the end. I mean, it was incredible feeling. It feels so great. It's one of the most exciting things I think has happened in cinema in years and that's due to the, I mean, like we said, there's so many depressing things that we constantly have heard specifically in Edinburgh, but like all over the world about cinemas closing, about COVID or dwindling numbers. And I think this is, and this was not necessarily an easy year, the beginning on specifically on sales and stuff like that. It's been a very depressing year. Then we look at the strikes and what's happening with that and the fact that that will shut down. I mean, I, I'm completely behind the reason and, you know, behind the, the, unions uh in that case as we talked about last last month but it does it will shut down production for for quite a long time so to have something like five days after that started you know to come out and really show 
the industry, how much this, how much cinemas matter, how much going to the cinema matters, how much good films matter, or how you can attract audiences to the cinemas when the films are either marketed well or particularly like resonate with groups of people who you might not have reached out to in a while. I think this is incredible news for cinema. And um, and I felt really exhilarated by that. come to your house tonight sure i don't have anything big planned just a giant blowout party with all the barbies and plant choreography and a bespoke song you should stop by so cool you can find me under the lights diamonds under my eyes this is the best day ever it is the best day ever so is yesterday and so is tomorrow and every day from now until forever you guys ever think about dying All right, so we're going to review the two films that are currently still out and still selling selling out Jim's cinema, starting with Barbie, because that we we think that's the the good the good order. You should do Barbenheimer if you if you so choose to do it and haven't. Gary, tell us about this film. Yeah, so uh, Barbie is the uh, third film by uh, director Greta Gerwig, who um, she she's written this one with her husband Noah Baumbach. Um, and yeah, it's about the iconic toy um, of Barbie. Barbie is played by Margot Robbie, and uh, the film picks picks up the story in Barbie land, where everything seems fantastic, um, and when Barbie um, suddenly suddenly has some dark thoughts, her and uh, and Ken, who's played by Ryan Gosling, have to go to the uh, real world to figure out uh to, to try and reconnect with the, the child who controls her Barbie. So that's that's kind of the, the synopsis of it. Um I I loved it. Um I think it was a, a I think the, the production design first of all is is incredible. I think uh the attention to details just second to none. Um I think like Greta Gerwig is just uh she I don't know, I guess maybe she's just like at an age where she she uh, gets got the right messaging across around like what Barbie means to to the world and to her and to other other people and um, yeah I just think it, it was funny uh, the songs were were great um, I think Ryan Gosling was exceptional as as Ken um, yeah I've been telling everybody that I, that I speak to since since seeing it to go and see this film. Uh, big big fan, and so I'm excited to to hear what you guys think. Um, so overall, I like this. Right, um, I, I I enjoyed it. I had fun with it. I have a lot of time for uh, Margot Robbie's performance. I think we we talk about Ryan Gosling being underrated in comedy roles so much that I don't know if he is underrated in comedy roles anymore. Uh, but point is he was very good in this film and i think there's a lot of supporting players who are also really good 
I, I'm not quite as head over heels with it as a lot of people I know. Um, I thought it's, I thought it was a little bit of a confused film in the script. I don't think it can really decide what it wants to be, whether it wants to be kind of a more Greta Gerwig-y, arch, you know, knowing, winky type of um, thing. And I should point out here, so her previous two solo-directing efforts, um, Little Woman and Lady Bird, I'm a big fan of both. Uh, in particular, her version of Little Woman I thought was fantastic. I think it was one of the best films I saw that year. This one, you know, I, I found it a, a slightly mixed bag. Like, overall, I, I went with it and I kind of forgave it for the things that I thought were a bit um, jarring. I'm not terribly sure its message is... is you know, we can talk about this, right? Because I, I, I sense I'm, I'm going to disagree with the pair of you, I think. But um, I found a slightly confused film in the script. I, I, there's, it did, couldn't quite decide what it wanted to be for me. And I think some of its messaging, when it tries to have it, uh, some was a little bit too on the nose. Other bits of it is a little bit muddled, I think. Um, I think it gets away with it because I think it's very funny. I think the performances are very engaging. Gary's already said the production design and everything. I think it looks fantastic. It's a very imaginative, creative film. And I think it's extremely well put together in that regard. I think in terms of its messaging and... um what it wants to be i find it a bit more muddled if i'm honest well i i disagree with you jim um i don't think the script at all was muddled uh i think there's a lot there and i think it's very layered um i can you know i can see it's one of i think we had this discussion with asteroid city and wes anderson stuff i think my impression of it is that it came across as very layered and it perhaps need to go back into the film to see and catch maybe certain things. Um, I found the film transformative. I think it's one of the, I mean, I, you know, we talked about Little Women and Lady Bird. I'm a huge Greta Gerwig fan. So I was a little nervous about this kind of putting Greta Gerwig as, you know, um, and then this Barbie sort of thing. And when I first saw the trailer, I was slightly, what's going on here? Um, but when I was in the cinema, I got everything and I thought it was incredible. I think it's a I think it's a transformative film because it's it's very smart, but at the same time it doesn't take itself too seriously. It really is funny and it we can laugh at things while also having a serious conversation around um around very important things and at the same time being kind of utopian and outrageous and unhinged and and like 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 complete anarchy, but all with with organization. And there were parts of the film that I cried literally, and there were parts that I was laughing. And as you as uh, Gary, you mentioned some of the songs, you know, were incredible. I mean the the um the, the amount of layers of just the production design and the quality of the of that alone uh, makes this film worth seeing multiple times. Uh, but I think as a story, it's incredibly important too. And I think as a cast ensemble, because you know we were talking about Margot Robbie, who I think did a great job. Ryan Gosling did an amazing job. But we have some really incredible. Kate McKinnon was hilarious. America Ferrara was great. Michael Sarah, you know, Will Farrell. I mean, all of them. I thought they were hilarious. It was really fun. I did not ever get bored. Yeah, just mentioning uh, America Ferrara, I found her her monologue um, was terrific. Like. And it really like summed up the messaging in the film. And I can see 
I guess like um, it's trying to spin a lot of plates in a way because it's, it's produced by Mattel, so it's kind of like the people might level the criticism that it's like a, it's an advert for a toy, and I guess to some degree people could say that that it is, but I think Greta Gerwig handles it in a way where she manages to do that in a way that Mattel are, are going to be pleased because the film's doing so well, but then it can also she also gets across the 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 um the, the feminist um messaging behind the film because I think like I think like you say Amanda it's very important um as a film and I think again I've heard I've seen some some takes that the messaging is like a little clunky or too simple um and that it's feminism 101 but I just think that like in the world that we live in fem feminism 101 is as probably like as as far as she could push it in in this time because there's already been a horrible backlash to being yeah um, to 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 the film like hating men which is just like it's just ridiculous um yeah so, I mean the, the, yeah. those criticisms are I, I'm I'm gonna kind of agree with you both and disagree with you right so in terms of I I agree that I think um. It has layers. I think the issue for me is I don't think those layers always blend particularly well. Um, what I will say is a criticism of it that it's a, uh, you know, it's an advert for a toy. I mean, okay, I mean, sure it is to a certain extent, but like, you know, I think that's a very easy criticism to make, right? And I don't think I don't think and, and any issue I have with the film doesn't stem stem from that. Um, you know, the feminist messaging in it is it feminism one hundred one? Is it fairly kind of like you know? Entry level thoughts about this sort of stuff, maybe, but I mean, you know, I I don't really see what's necessarily wrong with that. I mean, like particularly where the the film's been pitched, why shouldn't it be? Particularly with the the story we've got here, I think where I'm going to disagree is I the, the, the segments of Will Ferrell didn't really do it for me, right? I, I I felt like he had wandered in from a different film almost compared to the sections with America Ferrera, let's say, and um. Even the even the segments that Ryan Gosling gets on his own, which are kind of like the sections that are broader comedy, I would say, right? You then get Will Ferrell coming in doing his thing, which which don't be wrong, I have time for, right? I've liked a lot of Will Ferrell films. Here it didn't it didn't sit right to me, right? And I think what I found was to me tonally the type of comedy it was going for. Occasionally, I found it kind of a bit of a handbrake turn in terms of the tone of it. Um, so any problems I have with it are not related to, you know, it being a corporate project. I mean, okay, sure it is, but I mean, just about any massive Hollywood film is really. I mean, you know, that you could, you know, you could nitpick at stuff like that all day. I think for this one, for me, it was more just like I found myself oscillating wildly between thinking, "Hey, this is really good," and eh, this was, I don't know, I don't know about this. Um, which kind of says to me that tonally, the type of comedy it was doing, it didn't always come together for me. Like, the, the, so the monologue with America Ferreira it, it, is it fairly simplistic message? Is it the most subtle way of doing it? No, probably not. But I think it works, and I think the way it's played for comedic effect in the film really works, right? Because it basically it's kind of used to deprogram the the Barbies and kind of like there's a montage. Like, I think it's well done, right? That to me as kind of like straightforwardly put as it is, it feels like a different film to the one that Will Ferrell was in. It feels like a different film to even kind of like some of the early scenes in the film. And that's not to say that the film doesn't evolve correctly, because 
much like like a little bit with Little Woman, I thought it had a bit of a rocky start, and then it kind of you know it kind of comes back full circle, and I think it works really well. And the opening of Barbie, I find myself thinking, mm, I don't know how I'm going to feel about this. But then they call, she calls back to it absolutely magnificently, you know. So there's there's bits that work. I'm just not for me. I don't think those layers always blended. Um, you know, I think there's a different version of this film in a parallel universe where maybe it's got less targets and it managed to blend them together or something. I don't quite know. Um, but for me, it just didn't always kind of flow as well as I would have hoped, I think. Well, it I did for me. I I, I enjoyed every moment of it. And I really, you know, I, I think it was diff it wasn't what I, I didn't know what to expect either. Like I said, I don't think the trailer gave me enough to to know what I was getting. And I also think it was a huge change from what Greta's not maybe huge, but it did it did seem like a big change from the previous other films. Uh but I think she knocked it out of the park in so many ways. And I think it was I think the other thing is that this was specifically targeted as for everyone and i think that seeing how many people have kept coming out to this film it's people are responding to it all different all different ages you know everyone is responding to it i mean some people like are yourself jim are saying yeah it's not wasn't really for me it wasn't my favorite film or whatever but it's incredible how much positive response people have been getting been giving this film um, it could have gone completely awry, especially with the fact that it is very, like, it is a very, there's some complex, whether or not you think it's Feminism 101, there's some complex, like, thoughts for a major blockbuster that, you know, is bringing everyone to the cinema. Um, and I think it it handled those topics quite well and very, in, in a very funny way. Um, yeah, I thought I thought it was really smart. Oh yeah, and, and Greg Gerwig's stamp is still all over this. I mean, there's a Marcel Proust joke in here, you yeah. know, which is not something you would necessarily expect in a billion-dollar <laughs> Barbie movie, right? You, you know, so I mean, I I think any criticisms about it being a toy advert are, I don't know, they're kind of missing the point. To be even as somebody who's more lukewarm on it than you two, I think it's completely missing the point with this. Um, and I think what I would say is, despite the fact that I'm maybe not not quite as you know full on behind it is, is the two of you I find it very hard to believe somebody could go to this film and get nothing out of it you know like I'm not going to sit here and say I did not laugh in this film there are points where I laughed out loud right you know it's um, it, it doesn't quite hang together as well as I would maybe like it to but if you go to this and you don't get anything out of it I'd be really very surprised frankly um, and it is quite good to see I mean okay sure this is based on like massive existing intellectual property which is always kind of like presented as the big bad demon of kind of like big budget filmmaking but it is an original film right you know it's not there's not been a live action barbie film before it's probably the, it's the biggest budget of greta gerwig's been given by far and i think we'll talk about oppenheimer later but i think what's encouraging about this whole thing um both films together but also on their own is it does show that if you put an original thing out there and it's good Right, because I would still say this is good, right? I don't think it's brilliant, but I do think it's good. People will go to see it. I mean, okay, there was a huge marketing budget behind Barbie, but like, you know, as with any film with a massive marketing budget, if it was a lot of cards wallop, then it would have had like a you know a ninety percent drop in its second week and everybody'd be stopped done talking about it three weeks later. But we're not. We're sitting here 
talking about it on the show like nearly a month after it came out and people are still going to watch it right now you know so i find it hard to believe anybody would go this and go to see this and get nothing out of it that's you know despite my slight lukewarmness on it i don't wouldn't want that that to be the takeaway from my criticisms of it i think yeah that, that that's fair i mean like um yeah i think the the important thing is is that uh, people are going to see it and um kids are going to see it um adults are going to see it every and like you said amanda it's a film for for everybody and i think this whole um barbenheimer um kind of uh, fiasco was actually done done the film it's obviously done the film a big favor because people are turning it into an event and then i think word of mouth is is a has been great for the film as well just to get get as many people and to see it like my uh my 12 year old niece went to see it and i think she's seen it again so i think like um yeah i just think it's really important for for young girls and young boys to go and see this film um and then also, obviously there's some highbrow artsy uh jokes in there as well that you would expect from greta gerwig like very um yeah, she's clearly a cinephile. There's lots of little like nods and references to things in there, and lots of like little clever observations. Like, um, yeah, like little little uh, winky digs at like uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League and stuff like that, which I think like um, people are going to enjoy. And then I think the people that um, I think it's going to annoy just the right people as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is good. Yeah, no, yeah, I yeah. I think this is a film that I, I wouldn't even have even ever expected. I mean, I wouldn't have probably run out to a Barbie film if it hadn't been a Greta Gerwig Barbie film. And, you no. know, uh, and specifically, you know, Greta in her interviews, I think it was Simon Mayo or something. She said, I want to make this Barbie film. I wasn't going to make any other Barbie film. Um, and, it, you know, it was... It was because that Mattel dealt with this history and this complex situation of this doll, you know, that that has, you know, obviously has complex history and um, that they they put it in the right hands and then they market it like crazy. I think the the budget for marketing was one hundred and fifty million dollars, U.S. dollars and the production one hundred and forty five million but as we talked about before, we're it's already a billion. It's a billion dollar movie around the world already, and we're talking three or four weeks in. Um, that's an incredible feat for any filmmaker and um, for Greta Gerwig. I think this is amazing. I think that I mean we'll talk about the other films and the merits of the other films going forward. But I think this is the kind of film that is going to be. be that is transformative and we're going to remember when this film came out and how important this is and I think we'll look back at this film more over time and how important this film is um and I I'm so thrilled um to have seen it the first weekend in Paris but also to have seen so many people see it to see so many responses and to see it again and um yeah I'm if Greta Gerwig does not get a best director noms um through I I will be I'll be like very, very upset because uh, I think there's so much to it's it's a lot, not only the script, but th- this whole project. It's a huge, huge, uh, incredible feat um, to take that kind of, like you said, IP and turn it into what uh, what this film was. So I'm just I was I'm really blown away and I'm 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 rooting for her <laughs> to win. 
as am I. And uh, I just um I know there's been a little a lot of talk about Ryan Gosling um being pushed as a supporting actor candidate. And um just touching upon like what you had said earlier, Jim, about that he's underrated in, in comedy. It's something that I can't get my head around people thinking that he's underrated in comedy. Because I think like he's one of my favourite actors and he can do everything as far as I can see. He can do romance, he can do sci-fi stuff, he can do comedy, like such a big fan of things like uh, the nice guys or like his his role in the big short. And I think even in the films that he's in that aren't um, necessarily comedies, he's just got like a comedic energy to him that I think Greg Garwick does a, a great job of like getting that out of him. And I think not, there's not that many actors that could have uh, put themselves in that film and played Ken the way that he, he did. So I think he, he was terrific, and uh, yeah, I think it's also like one of one of Margot Robbie's best films as well. She was she was brilliant too. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what what kind of uh, life this this has moving into award season. I'm sure we'll talk about that um, nearer the time. Yeah, I think that people are talking about Ryan, but I do think I agree with you, Gary, that Margot Robbie's uh, role in this was was really good and uh and really important to keep pointing out as well as well as the person who took on the project originally brought in Greta and kind of pitched the you know pitched this as a billion dollar movie and it happened so I think you have to sort of look at the entire team who puts a film like this together um and the, you know they hit it out of the ballpark for me in my opinion <laughs> I mean. um, all right, and we'll be on to the next when we come back. in a future and our imaginings horrify us they won't fear it until they understand it and they won't understand it until they've used it. Theory will take you only so far. I don't know if we can be trusted with such a weapon. But we have no choice. All right. So the second half of Barbenheimer phenomena uh, still in cinemas right now is Oppenheimer. And Jim is going to talk about this film as well. So Oppenheimer is the latest film from Christopher Nolan of, you know, the Dark Knight trilogy fame, primarily Inception. Uh, most recent film was Tenet, which was one of the very few films to be going out in cinemas in the autumn of uh, 2020. Um and as the title might imply, it is it's a biopic of J. Robert Oppenheimer, who was the lead physicist behind the Los Alamos Laboratory in the Manhattan Project and the development of the 
atomic bomb. Um, and it kind of balances different stretches in his life. Uh, we see a little bit of him as a student. We see the lead up uh, to the war with him teaching uh, in university and kind of, you know, having left wing association, shall we say, and kind of flirting with um, members of the Communist Party, in particular, uh, young woman Jean Tatlock, played by Florence Pugh. Uh, Oppenheimer's played by Killian Murphy, who's been in a lot of Nolan's films, but mostly supporting roles. This is the first lead one he's had uh, with him. And then, obviously, the development of the bomb and the collaborative effort between kind of like some, you know, very prominent physicists of the day. And then it also kind of deals with the aftermath of it, um, you know, the immediate aftermath, and then several years after, during the development of the hydrogen bomb and kind of the start of the Cold War. And in that's those segments, you get a little bit more from uh, Lewis Strauss, uh, like the, the name is spelt Strauss, but he points out it's a southern pronunciation, Lewis Strauss, uh, played by Robert Downey Jr. And the reason he comes into this is that there's a... Uh, basically a segment where he's going through his confirmation as a cabinet secretary uh, in the US government and he's been questioned about his role in the Oppenheimer affair. So basically it cross-cuts a lot between these different timelines and brings them together and stuff comes to light and it um, finds ways to kind of like find, you know, similarities in these timelines of tone and all the rest of it and cuts across them. So it's a little bit kind of Christopher Nolan-y in the sense that, you know, it's not just a straight linear biopic. We don't just go through um, from point A to B to C through the guy's life. We go between the two of them. Um, but basically it does that. The centerpiece of this is probably the, is the, is the Trinity test, right? There's the, the detonation of the atomic bomb, um, after they developed it, but as I say, it goes back and forth. But basically, that that's what it is. It's a chronicle of the life of J. Robert Oppenheimer using these different periods in his life with a little bit of the aftermath dealt with through this uh, segment, Louis Strauss, played by Robert Downey Jr. So I'm interested. So I, 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 I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan. I have been very up and down with his films, though, right? I, I think the films of his that I like, I really like. There have been a couple, uh, and I'm kind of primarily thinking of his last film, Tenet, which I think they're really not good. I thought Tenet was a dreadful film, frankly, <laughs> uh, I, although I seem to be in a vocal minority about that. Um, what did the pair of you think about this one? Um, so I, I'm kind of uh, the same as you. I'm a little bit mixed on the films of Christopher Nolan, and and um, I think when he, I also I also didn't like Tenet. And I think going on to what I like, or the films of his that I like the most are when he, when he's like reined in by, like his script is reined in by either um, history or some source material. So like I really like his Batman films and obviously they're reined in by the comic books that they're based on. I really loved uh, Dunkirk that he did. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this one. It's one of, one of my, I'd say it's one of my favourite Nolan films. Um, and it, it's kind of it's big and it's bold and it's intricate the way that he tells his story, but it, it never gets it's never um, so crazy that it becomes confusing or far fetched in the way that some of his kind of um, more sciencey films, like mind bending films, do. Um, yeah, I 
I really enjoyed this. I think there's there's so much going on in it. And there's so many people in it. It's got such a huge cast. And every twenty minutes, there's oh, there's Florence Pugh. Oh, there's Casey Affleck. Gary Oldman turns up for for a scene. Um, so it's got a phenomenal cast. I thought Kelly Murphy was terrific. I'm a huge fan of his anyway from his uh, work on P Blinders and his and his uh, his other film work that he's done over the years. But like you say, this is probably, this is definitely by far his biggest film role. Um, yeah, I think I would say it's kind of less. I think going into a film about the birth of the atomic bomb, the film itself is a little bit less explosive than you might think. It's a lot of like a lot of just men talking in rooms, um, followed by men talking in rooms, followed by men talking in rooms. <laughs> but I think for a film about that, it's a very, very good one. Um, I wasn't um so up on the, the history of the ins and outs of, of that time poli- like politically or um to do with Oppenheimer. So I found it uh fascinating. It's kinda like a uh yeah, Christopher Nolan history lesson, but uh, a really enjoyable one. Well, that's, a, that's a good I, I like that Christopher Nolan history lesson and that, that's exactly what it was for me um I, I am very lukewarm on Christopher Nolan I you know I didn't see Tenet because I didn't it didn't sound good maybe it was Jim you sort of saying you didn't like it through the whole process but um <laughs> Memento for me when I first saw that film I thought it was like that was a Seinfeld episode that he took he took and I'm not, you know, like, I think, you know, his, he, everyone finds him, he's one of these characters where I love that he exists um, in his, you know, absolute, you know, must shoot on film, must shoot this, you know, exactly, you know, must shoot at 70 mil or IMAX or all this stuff. So the fact that he has that sort of audacity and capacity to do this and take these, you know, take these stories and do them in these incredible ways that use film. I, you know, I applaud that he exists out there and I'm happy, you know, I'm happy that he's part of the the ecosystem, but, you know, I don't really respond to his films, um, you know, like they're the best thing I've ever seen. It's like the little PTA, like discussions I have with cinephiles over the years. This one was pretty good. I think sometimes if you didn't know the story, I I learned a lot about Oppenheimer. I learned a lot more after watching it. I probably need to go back and watch the film again, you know, to le- to like deal with the idiosyncrasies of what was happening. I thought the performances were incredible um, across the whole board. You know, I thought they were really good. Um, Robert Downey Jr., particularly Emily Blunt, I really liked as well. Um, Killian Murphy, of course, like there, this, the film was, was really, really good. I think sometimes, as you said, a bunch of people talking, it, I maybe expected because this whole idea about the explosion and how it was filmed and all this stuff was very, you know, very spectacular. All the effort that was put in it, that the story would have been a little bit more less about in being in someone's head all the time, you know, like his own existential crisis. And for three hours or however long we're talking, it was that was a lot of a lot of non-explosive activity happening. Um, but that being said, it's a really incredible period of history. It's really important. Um, and I think it was handled well. But you I maybe agree with you, Gary, that this is one of his better ones. Yeah, I think um, I think I'd agree with that, right? So I think generally speaking, generally speaking, I, I have liked Christopher Nolan's films, right? I would say the only ones that I've really had a strong negative reaction to are um, Interstellar and Tenet, right? And the, the reason I bring up Interstellar is because that's probably the other film 
where he gets the heavy or attempts to get the heaviest into kind of like scientific stuff, right? And also, like, there's bits of Interstellar that are a bit more fantastical. And I think Gary's point about his best work being when he's reined in by something, right? Whether it's history or source material or something like that. I think that I think there's something to that, right? Yeah. Now, for for me, unlike Amanda, I really like Memento, for instance. Um, you know, and like Inception doesn't necessarily fall into that category. But I think about Interstellar and what it did with like scientific stuff, and I personally think it used it to give it an air of gravitas, and it was a little old hooey, right? That was that was me, and I think there, there's there's scenes in there which reveal the fact that its understanding is quite shallow right and I, i'm going to burnish my own credentials here right my background is chemical engineering i've studied chemistry and physics quite a lot right i'm not i'm not i'm not j robert oppenheimer but when something rubs me up the wrong way on these things it really gets my goat right and interstellar did that um this film did not and i think the reason for that is um you know there's plenty in here for kind of like physics and history nerds if you like but i think it's centered a lot of it understandably given the title of the film on Killian Murphy's performance as Oppenheimer and I think that is that's crucial here and I think the other thing is the management of time here I think what's I think what's interesting you, you know when people go on about Christopher Nolan's management of time right the, 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 the go-to things in these examples are probably going to end up being Tenet right uh, which I think it used as a crutch for a film that was a load of old shite myself but you know whatever this is not a review of Tenet or Memento, right? And Memento has its structure, and you know you either you either like it, you don't appreciate it, like it, that that's fine. But I think his his use of this, like manipulating timelines in the film, is matured, and I think is he's doing it a lot better now, Tenet notwithstanding. And I'm glad that you both bought up Dunkirk as an example of this, because I personally think, you know, there's probably films I like more of his, or like, or maybe more of a favourite, like, I probably rewatched The Dark Knight more times, and, you know, this sort of thing, and I have a lot of fun with the prestige and things like that, but I think Dunkirk is his technically most accomplished film, right? I, I, I think that is his best made film. I don't think this is far behind, and I think in both films, it's the management of time that really gives it um its sense of momentum and what it's building towards. And in the case of Oppenheimer, it's interesting that so little of it actually factors on the explosion, right? And I think that like, to, to Amanda's point, right, there was a lot of marketing stuff like, like, oh, you know, he didn't use CGI, he's filmed it practically, blah, blah, blah. But I think what's quite actually good about the use of the explosion is because it's cutting between these different timelines quite a lot, it lends that same sense of urgency and import to these other things, right? So to talk to the point about kind of like a load of men sitting around talking rooms, it is, right? But if they would, this was to be dealt with in a kind of like classically linear way, the way you might do with a kind of like more traditional dull biopic, right? Some of these scenes would be as bored as shit, frankly. I mean, like, let's not beat around the bush here. They would be. But because they're going back and forth between kind of like this rush to develop it, the explosion, the aftermath... And it does reveal stuff as it goes along, particularly about uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Louis Strauss, who's not who's not a man I knew anything about before this um, this film. Um, it does lend that same sense of momentum, urgency, 
and import to all of these events. And I think that comes together when you get to the end of it, right? Because at the end of the film, right, and this isn't much of a spoiler, it's probably fairly fairly obvious, the end of the film is not chronologically the last point in what we see depicted in the film, right? And I think it's the idea that this is all one whole thing and you need to look at it as an important series of events together. I think it really it, it really does that superbly. I think it's a superbly uh, made film in that regard. And I think in that sense, it's interesting that it's the same editor. Um, it's the same, well, obviously it's the same director and Chris Nolan, but it's the same editor that he had for Tenet because for Tenet, it really didn't work for me. But this one, it really, really works um, superbly in my view. It's not a perfect film, right? You know, and I'm not going to go too much into kind of like... Um, some of my minor issues with it like i think one of the issues that i have with christopher nolan's scripts right i think he puts films together technically very well um you know they're not always they, they have their clunky moments and i think alden ehrenreich plays like an advisor to robert downey jr's character and i think he you know he's firing out softball questions that allow the plot to get laid out and i think it it works for what the film needs it to do but it's, you know, I think in a lot of the Nolan fanboyism, some of these things kind of get glossed over. It's not, you know, it's not the best in that sense. Um, I think there's also a little bit too much um, gazing at kind of the stars of physics. You know, like Kenneth Branagh shows up and this is Niels Bohr, right? And I, I, I'm in a position where I know who Niels Bohr is, right? But you don't know who Niels Bohr is, right? Which, frankly, I don't know why like anybody who hasn't studied physics, I don't know why you would know who Niels Bohr is. Like you'd be thinking, like, why are we why are we so excited about this dude played by Kenneth Branagh? Like, what's the deal? Like, because he's in it for all of about two scenes, but he's built up massively. And I think unless you kind of, you know, have him as some part of it or go into it, it's you know, and then Heisenberg shows up as a um, mm. you know, ancillary character, and I, I don't mean to be uncharitable, but I think if you say the word Heisenberg, most people probably think of Breaking Bad these days rather than you know the actual physicist. That's but it, it's it, there's little bits like that where it's I've criticized other films for you know this not meaning anything to you unless you have that background, otherwise, it's completely pointless within the film. This does have a couple of moments like that. I think the thing is, it has such momentum and relentlessness it doesn't really matter it kind of moves on swiftly from it but i think you know if you're looking at this film as a whole i think you'd be remiss not to i I think i'd be remiss not to mention the fact that you know it's not it's not a perfect film but i think it's constructed so well that its flaws kind of are very quickly moved on from um and i think it focuses mainly on that central performance and that central performance and killian murphy is superb I think I, I agree with you a lot on that, that it's it's technically really like well put together. Also, mm-hmm. I think that the geekiness around the, you know, the details of, of all the people you've mentioned is in one part why it's hard to completely understand, because I felt that way where I was like, who who are all these people in the room? You know, and and unless I knew more about it, I, you know, it, it became a bit confusing and why would one have watched it again? But on the other hand, I read it's one of the most historically accurate, you know, uh, portrayals of this, you know, this story. And probably just like it's a very historically accurate biopic. 
and it, and it would be somebody like Nolan, who's a very obsessed with, you know, making sure, and maybe he didn't, maybe because of Interstellar, he needed to go do a lot more research in this case. And, uh, and, and then maybe that's why it also takes so long, you know, here and there. But I also agree with you on the time frame um, and are moving back from the time. And it annoyed me less than even, like I said, with asteroids hitting Wes Anderson where we jumped back and forth with the black and white and the color and stuff like that in this case I thought it worked well and it kept me sort of mm. it kept me sort of understanding where we were in time and I thought it was actually quite useful in as a narrative structure all of that is like great improvements for Christopher Nolan and I, I would happily go see this again yeah I think um is it is it it's like I think this is a very mature film Right, I think you know, and it sounds a bit strange to be saying that about a guy who had presumably must be in his fifties and has been making films for like you know thirty odd years or whatever. But it's it 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 feels like a very accomplished film, and it feels like something which has been put together in exactly the way it needed to be to give it the impact it 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 required. Right, and does it have the some of the slight inelegancies that? you know Christopher Nolan's scripts have yeah sure of course it does but i think it gets i think it gets away with them and i think they're very minor complaints in what is an otherwise extremely effective film um yeah i would just just to chip in on on the being um, the the way that he handles time in this film just to go back to like how and Dunkirk he did the whole splitting it by the land there and sea and i think um like you say Jim about like some of these scenes without that um, structure could be quite boring, but the way that he weaves them all together, I found it was fascinating and um, it's so well constructed and accomplished. Um, and I will just say that I also think it's not a perfect film and it does have its flaws. And um, it's kind of got the flaws that have ran through Nolan's films um, for a while. And I will, I will just say that like, I think the, not, I don't want to take anything away from Emily Blunt and Florence Pugh's performances, but I just think that the way that the characters are written in a way to sort of come. I mean, obviously, it's based on it's based on uh, based on a true story, so they can't it can't change the 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 outcome, the fates of the characters. But like, um, I just think that the way that it's presented, where they're both um, made victims to kind of further. Um, further Oppenheimer's arc I don't know whether they needed to be done in, in that way um, mm. I was I'd seen the film with my with my uh, wife and she came out and said that she kind of felt like it was such a, a male dominated film like the whole men talking rooms thing and she was saying obviously like there's women in the film and there's women in his life and it's a biopic of his life so they have to be there she was like the way that they treat the women in this film it's almost like it would have been better she said like there was this point in the film where um where he's been interrogated and somebody mentions that he's a womanizer and i think the cool like that was enough to know that he was a womanizer without kind of showing some of this gratuitous stuff in there the, the way that they did so i think um in some ways he's improving as a filmmaker and the way that he uh, tells his stories but i think there's still there's still room for improvement um in the way that in the way that his uh, female characters are written, 
Yeah, I would agree with that a bit, except I did think Emily Blunt, as I mentioned, I thought her character was a little bit more complex and I thought was mm. was interesting. And in fact, I would, it was very interesting to see her character and learn more about Kitty as, as a, you know, as a person from this film, where I thought Florence Pugh's uh, character and the relationship that they were having was was not very effective in the story. Like, I mean, obviously it's an important part of the story, uh, Jean Tatlock, but I do think that it wasn't, I just didn't buy it. <laughs> like this, you know, the romance as much. And and I like Florence um, Pugh as, a, as an actor or whatnot. And obviously Killian did a great job overall, but mm-hmm. that, that was probably the least, um, uh, yeah, the least apt, least best part of the film for me was mm-hmm. that that relationship where I think on the other hand, Emily Blunt at least brought in a like a really unique for that period of time, a really interesting sort of person with her own mind and sort of like, you know, like so I, I was I thought that was quite quite interesting for me. Yeah, I think yeah. Emily Blunt is um she she's really good in the role, but I think um and she does get her her moments towards the end where there is like a, a payoff to the the kind of the the long suffering wife trope that it kind of um mm. employs a little bit. But I do think that how many of the how many of the men in that in those rooms would be um I don't know smoking themselves to death or drinking themselves to death. And yeah. like it was the forties and the fifties. It was very right. much part part of the um part of the culture then. And I just I don't know, kind of grated a little bit that like the the one alcohol problem that they show is of course like the one central woman in it to kind of like level some kind of criticism at her character where you see the you see the the bottle of whiskey falling out of her bag or you see like yeah. the scene where he gets home and she's she's alone like drinking in the dark. It's kind of like mm-hmm. at, at that time, I guess like there there would have been um like all the other the characters would have had their vices. But it was just like the way that the film kind of. I, I think there. Was, I mean, just, we were talking about length, but I think there was a lot missing, and I think you're right. I think maybe that skew on that side, you know, to to make that character look that way. Um, also, I think there was a lot missing in terms of the, the the anti-Semitism that was going on within, you know, like there wasn't much focus on that as well. Like you all both said, there's quite a lot of omissions because it's a complex story. Um, but for something fairly accurate, it's not like blonde Marilyn Monroe's biopic, which we all loved uh, with a huge bit of sarcasm there. Yeah, I think um, I, I think I'd agree with both of you to some extent on that, right? And I think in terms of Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker, like the, the, the fact that he can't write women or he's poor at writing women is something that comes up quite often. And I think it's actually sometimes a little bit harsh. I'm not sure it is here, to be honest. Um, like I think... Emily Blunt brings more to that role than there maybe is in the script, right? Because she gets her kind of like triumphant moment towards the end. And I think the way that she inhabits that scene and kind of delivers it brings a lot more to it than necessarily would have been written on the page. I think I think Florence Pugh does quite well with her role. In particular, there's one scene um where I think it's not something I've seen in an Nolan film before, and I think it works quite well in terms of kind of like understanding the impact that that relationship, or in particular the way that relationship ended, let's say, um, has on Oppenheimer, right? And I think 
from a filmmaking perspective, like let's say a directorial standpoint, it works very well. From a writing standpoint, I'm not sure that the build-up to that point really gets across the impact or the importance of that relationship in his life. And I think this leads me to my whole thing with Christopher Nolan, whereas which is I think he's a fantastic director. I think he's a really good technical filmmaker and even certain aspects of the storytelling in terms of like management timelines we've spoken about i think he's excellent there i don't think he's a great writer right and i think that comes through unfortunately for him i think it comes through a little bit more than his female characters but frankly it shows up all over the place i've already said about kind of like these you know ridiculous exposition scenes that are in everything and i think the things that suffered the most from it were things like tenet was interstellar i think it was in the dark knight rises as well for instance and things like that i think when he, when he's doing any of the writing it's a lot less accomplished in my view. Um, and I think that kind of all links back to Gary's original point about it's so it's maybe even not so much he's reined in by source material, it's really guided, right? He's maybe a little bit more guided by them. Um, and I, but I think to to circle back to your points about those lead, those female leads in Emily Blunt and probably more supporting in terms of Florence Pugh, but I think that's maybe where it shows up in terms of the character work in this film, which otherwise I think is pretty good, to be honest. So overall, uh, we we mostly both like we all liked both films. Uh, if you had to pick your favorite of the bunch, uh, I'm going for Barbie. What would you go for, Gary? Um, I'd go Barbie as well. Yeah. And Jim. I, I'll go Oppenheimer. I think we knew this, but you know, give us a bit of variety. We, yeah, we like variety here. Yeah. In um. Uh. But yeah, so that's Barbenheimer. Uh, reviewed, and it's still out in cinemas, and hopefully for for a bit longer. Okay. Keep coming to the cinemas, and um, yeah, it's it's a great summer for cinema. Uh, we're on to the film festival next. begins we're at the beginning of the week and at the end of the week edinburgh international film festival will be upon us in edinburgh and it is from the 18th to the 23rd of august it's a little shorter this year as we discussed last month a little bit more in full you know this has kind of been the film festival's been safe and we're you know and and the fact that they were able to put that whole program together in this amount of time is is incredible and we did discuss all of their program the whole program with the programming team last month so feel free to check that out in our other episode we're going to review two films in this podcast that are coming out big big films i think uh, at least the first one passages iris axe so it will be out i believe on movie as well you know what i was doing last night no but whatever it was you sound very excited My party and my husband doesn't want to dance with me. I'll dance with you. So, Gary, do you want to give us a little intro to to that? Uh, yes. So, um, so yeah. So, passages. It's um, the latest film from American director Ira Sachs. 
Um, it's set in Paris and it follows a, a filmmaker called Thomas, played by Franz Rogowski, um, who is um, he's in a he's in a he's married to an artist called Martin, who's played by Ben Wishaw, um, a gay married couple, and um, after finishing his latest film, he uh, begins a relationship with a teacher called Agat, she's played by Adele Um And then what follows is a kind of a, a love triangle, but uh, quite a open and honest one. So it's not like, it's not like he's having an affair and then they, they play it along those lines where there's like the big reveal. It's kind of just like, he, he's very um, open and tells his husband straight away that he slept with a woman the night before. Um, and it's kind of about his, um, his psyche and I guess his relationships, his relationship with his husband and then with his um, girlfriend and then kind of how how we see the different sides of his personality and then how that how that plays out for the three characters. Um, and yeah, find it very. It was a little different to what I was expecting because I think like like I just said, I expected it to be a kind of uh, an affair movie, and. Uh, I know it's been it's been billed as like the the, the horniest film of the year, mm-hmm. uh, so I was going in there with like I don't know high expectations, um, and it was a film that w- when I stopped watching when I when I finished it first time, it kind of felt like I was a little bit underwhelmed by it, but then in the days that have followed, I've still been thinking about it. I think it's one that that I've been thinking about more and more, and I. I guess I'll, I'll watch it again because there's just something um, I think it's interesting the fact that it's set in Paris because the director is American, the characters are, so the, the main character is German, his husband's British and then the um, his like mistress if you like is, uh, is French um, but it's set in Paris and it feels the way that um, a French film would feel in terms of the way that it captures these human emotions and the relationships between the characters. So I found out it was interesting that the um, that it's set that's set in Paris. Um found it like a interesting character study. Um and yeah, what what did you think of it, Amanda? Um I think it was as you said, it was an incredible character study. I think I I mean all of these performances were incredible. I would largely say uh the character Tomas uh, was just so believable that I, you know, the only thing I would say is it made me uncomfortable in quite a few spots, but partially because of the character being sometimes really hard to deal with. Um, I would say sometimes people have said a narcissist, if you will, and and the way that he treated the two people um, within the love triangle, but uh, really really beautiful the way everything was shot I think specifically you mentioned the horniest film of the year I think some of these scenes that um, are being talked about is largely in the way that it was shot the way that it sort of rests and allows sort of you know these intimate moments to happen and for the acting and all that, you know, that, that to come alive. And it, it's, it's very powerful and also very painful, you know. Um, and so I think overall the film was really good. Writing-wise, incredible. And I, I have to say I have not seen that much of Iris Axe before, but it makes me want to see quite a lot more. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna echo the the two of you basically. I I thought it was an excellent film, and I think um, Amanda's point about the writing being superb is really on point. Um, I think for me, the the strongest part of the film, which is not implying that the other parts are weak, just merely I think the standout element is Franz Rogowski. Right, he's a an actor that I really really enjoy the performances of, um, and I think primarily before this um i saw him in actually come to think of it I did, so we're, we're reviewing a christian petzold film after this the way i'm aware of Rogowski is from a christian petzold film in uh in transit and i thought he was superb in that and this it really shows kind of the man's versatility because it's a completely different performance and he does play this kind of like very um you know emotionally and sexually open you know narcissist is the word for it um you know who basically <laughs> kind of seems to think the world revolves revolves around him and this film does and i think it's good this film does and it, it makes him a very captivating presence and that is down to that franzogowski performance i think the supporting performances so ben wishaw as his husband martin and then adele x arcopolis as agat uh, the woman that he basically he meets her by dancing with her at um, the after party after his film because he's a filmmaker uh, finishes shooting uh, and martin's kind of like too tired and rejects um doing such and that's how they they meet and basically I found the way that everything revolved around Franz Rogowski's characters really, really interesting. I found you could see why people say the hardiest film of the year, but I think what's interesting about it is it's very much in. Um, it, it's not what, as Gary said, it's not this kind of like typical kind of like you know a fair film structure. It's a lot more, it's a lot more open and challenging than that. Right, in terms of how these characters are interacting and what they're getting from one another or not getting from one another and what exactly is, is going on is is really interesting. It's really domestic in terms of like the scale of the drama here, but the performances are all so good and have such good chemistry. And it's interesting we're talking about a film set in Paris here because I think um you know we we spoke about a film on the show previously where we talked about the fantastic chemistry chemistry between the characters and I think this is another one where a lot of it hinges on that and it comes together in a couple of ways here in terms of a lot of the sex scenes here I think they are really well shot they're done quite differently between the ones which are put between um Franz Rogowski's character and Ben Wishaw's and then between uh, Rogowski's and um, Adele X Arcopolis's. They're done quite differently, but again, it just shows this kind of intense, passionate chemistry, and it really shows kind of like how these people are getting caught up in this, but also how they react differently to it. I think the way that um, Agat interacts with Thomas is very different to this a lot weedier performance from Ben Wishaw. And I think you can kind of imagine Ben Wishaw putting in this sort of performance where like there are these flashes of uh, passion, but it's, he knows who he's dealing with, right? Yeah. And the, the central character and he's a lot weedier about it. Whereas a gat, uh, the female character, she doesn't, this is kind of new to her in the same way as to Thomas, which is obviously why he's 
started pursuing this and i i find it I, I thought it was an absolutely fascinating film because you just can't take your eyes off these characters and i think it's that um gelling of how it's been shot and the way that these characters have been written is just really captivating and i couldn't take my eyes off it. i think it's an excellent film i thought it was absolutely superb interesting just um just what you're saying they're going back to the, the sex scenes because i know that there's always like this um discourse that comes up every so often about sex scenes in films and the, yeah. the necessity of sex scenes in films and i think without the sex scenes in this there wouldn't be a film because mm. and it's not to say that they're done in a gratuitous way but i think in terms of the character study just seeing how like he's like the way that he has like his his mannerisms and his body language with one is uh is completely different to the other and that speaks to like the, the length of time that he's known them and the and the dynamic between him and his husband and then with him and the the woman in the, in the story so i think that's really um really does a great job of like um using the sex scenes as a way to tell the story of this mm. of this narcissist and how yeah he can seems to kind of like yeah, it can flip flip between one and the other and he just tries to pick people up and drop them again when he's when he's bored um and yeah he's like he's not a he's, he's definitely not like a, a likable character but he's a character that's like captivating and yeah you just yeah it's an interesting scene how it plays out I, I really enjoyed this scene where he won't go into like the details, but where he meets um, Agat's family as well, and then that kind of like sees the um, the clash of kind of two sides of his personality kind of coming together in a in quite a funny way. Um, but then it, it's also it's, um, yeah, it can, it's very sad in moments as well in the film. So yeah, I just think that um, yeah, it's very well written as you as you mentioned at the beginning, Amanda. Yeah, and I, I mean, I agree with you. I think I, I think it, it it is in some of those scenes, as you said, the the intimate scenes that that you see this intimacy, you see the character, you know, relationship. You can see the acting, but it's also the way and the time, the pacing of the film. And mm -hmm. I think brought Absolutely. up the few scenes, um, particularly Gary, that made me think about the fact that I very rarely saw the cameras move or change or or whatnot allowing sort of the scene to happen and and why then it becomes um more uh cl not claustrophobic but you know what i mean more more apparent um the of the great performance and also more painful you know um as well because it's not a it's not necessarily a totally happy story i also would say the music is really good in it as well um so between the diegetic and non-diegetic soundtrack i think that was really really lovely and how that kind of sort of played within in the film and even with the ending as well so i just it it's really beautiful i mean i also love films good films made in paris so uh we'll <laughs> watch this one again um most definitely and highly recommend you go see it at the Edinburgh International Film Festival this week. Yeah, I, I recommend people go and see it. And I will just mention um, the performance of um, Adele Exarchopoulos. Um, I think she, she's phenomenal in this film and she's on such a great run of films at the moment. She's becoming like one of my one of my favourite actors. And she was really, really great in a film called The Five Devils earlier this year that I think's on movie. Um, and so people should check that out. And she did... Um, Quentin Depew's Smoking Cody's Coffin last month as well. So she's got a she's got a great range and um yeah, she's great in this. As as are all three. 
Okay, so check out Passages as part of the Edinburgh International Film Festival uh, this week. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll move on to the next film. That's part of the film festival this week. There's uh, A Fire by directed by Christian Petzold. Uh, Jim, tell us about this film. So A Fire. Um, so Christian Petzold, we actually, made, as I said, we mentioned in the last review, the, the only other film of his I've... Oh, no, sorry, I tell a lie. I've seen two other films of his. Um, but I saw Transit, which I was a huge fan of, and this is his latest film. There is one film he's done in between, uh, which was... Undine, Undine, I'm not sure how you're meant to pronounce it, but it's um, it had the the same uh, lead actress in it, in Paula Beer, who shows up in this film. But the premise of this is that you have um, two young friends. Uh, so you've got Leon, who is a young writer who's trying to finish his novel that he's fairly convinced is crap, <laughs> played by Thomas Schubert. And he's with his friend Felix, uh, played by Langston Ubel. And they have gone to a holiday home, which I think in the story is owned by Felix's mum, but I can't really remember that that part particularly well. Um, as but in in the summer, and the idea is that Leon is going to finish his film there. Uh, Felix is going to kind of relax a bit, and when they get there, it's actually being occupied and let out, uh, unknown to them, by uh, someone else. And it's uh, Paula Beer playing a woman called Nadia, and she is in a sort of you know, casual but relationship with uh, this lifeguard called David. And basically, it's the interactions of these four people uh, and all their various kind of insecurities, securities, confidences, and all the rest of it, and how they all play up against one another. Um, the reason for the title is that basically there's this backdrop of the idea of kind of growing forest fires, which are slowly kind of like creeping closer to where they're staying. It's a background thing. It's not necessarily, um, for the majority of the film anyway, very prominently presented, but that's the idea of it. Uh, and the German title is actually Rotor Himmel Red Sky, right? Because these fires are turning the sky red. Um, but despite that kind of like dramatic dra backdrop, it's basically the interactions of these characters, right? And their insecurities, um, attractions, and all the various things that are kind of like bouncing around in the psychology of them and how it's playing out in this very limited location. It basically largely, so the vast majority of the story takes place in this one house and then a beach that's nearby, right? And how they interact there. There's a little bit of a coda at the end and 
at the start of the film, um, you see Felix and Leon break down and they have to walk the rest of the way to this this home. And then the film basically stays there from there. So I'm, I'm interested to see what you, you two made of this. Um, I, um, I wanted to like this more than I did. I struggled with it a little bit in terms of... Um, like I couldn't figure out its tone. And um, I know that it's kind of um, been called a comedy, and there is like there's a there is comedic elements to it, and I think they do come to the fore a little bit more as the film goes on into the third act. But I just find I guess like ties in a, a little bit that there's a thematic through line um, with passages, and that the main character is this um, kind of toxic artist, but he Leon is just this kind of self-centered writer who I don't know I just didn't find his character very I found his character more annoying than than interesting and um yeah I don't know I think like the first hour or so of the film was quite I don't know I found it quite quite dull quite boring um and then it does kind of take shape a little bit and then there's a whole forest fires closing in on them towards the end but again that's kind of like the the ending feels like the ending of a film that doesn't match with the first hour and I just couldn't really like a little bit like what you said about Barbie at the beginning of the show like I just feel like the different elements in this film just didn't quite hang together for me um and I guess like comedy is like quite subjective but I think I was watching a a comedy and not really thinking, not realising <laughs> it was a comedy. I don't know, it just didn't click with me. Maybe it's just like the, the type of humour that it was it was going for, but um, yeah, I, I know that Amanda liked this more than me, so if you want to let us know what you thought about Amanda. Yeah, and I actually agree with you, Gary, that I think I saw a real connection between Passages and A Fire, partially just that there there were quite a few scenes about being on holidays in Europe, you know, and uh, sort of what you do kind of outside of that, you know, period of time when you're work, you know, like in the city, in the domestic space that is your everyday and what you do after outside of that. So I, I conceptually liked that already where the, the, the space in which we were in and potentially maybe also because I just came from like a beach vacation in France. And I, I kind of thought the way this was being, you know, filmed and sort of the, the, the way that they kind of let the, the dynamic breathe um, while it might have been slightly slow was was interesting and I was curious about all these characters and how they all sort of will fit together and I agree with you that Leon the main character was you know disgraceful and annoying and but I also found uh, you know Tama and Passages to be quite frustrating uh, almost more because he had more power over the other people where here I feel like everyone found the main character to be quite annoying uh, and sort of let him be, you know, a curmudgeon. Um, but I, I did really like uh, the film. I thought the film was well, well put together. I think the impending, I mean, also right now, well, all the, it feels very like prescient or like timely with what's going on, you know, in the world with fires and, and um, so it, 
I, I, you know, I really felt that kind of sort of impending thing happening outside of this very, very small bubble of a world where they were fi- figuring out these dynamics. And um, so I, I liked that sort of mixture between the two and that that really didn't, that didn't like take over. It wasn't like a horror, you know, a, a, a horror movie about, you know, natural disaster, but this was a real thing that was affecting the dynamic. Uh, what did you think, Jim? Yeah, overall, I think I liked it. It didn't... Um, and I think we're all agree with Gary is it didn't quite come together for me as I would have liked, I think, in the end. Um, I think a, a lot is probably going to be made of the lead character being an arsehole. Yes. <laughs> um, but frankly, I actually kind of enjoyed that. I think it's a very good... I think it's a very good performance from Thomas Schubert, and I think they, they, where where I'll differ with Gary is I got quite a lot out of that on a, on a comedic front. I found his just kind of intense kind of, you know, self-centeredness and, you know, thinking the world's against him and all the rest and super, you know, self-seriousness. I, 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 th- I thought it was really quite something, and I think that performance is is really good. I think um, Paula Beer's performance, I think, is very good. Uh, I think she kind of embodies this um, enigmatic woman, let's say, without it tipping over into kind of like the stereotype that you could have with that sort of role. So I think there's a lot to like there. Um, I, I think what I would say is a little bit the story kind of maybe tips a little bit towards um, the old kind of, you know, an artist must suffer for his art type thing. Um, I think it does it a lot better than when I've seen that story before. But, you know, it's not necessarily new in that regard. I think also the fact that it's kind of... Um, that kind of like, you know, lights well not light that's the wrong word but that's sort of like euro art house kind of style of comedy where it's very dry i think it's that for the majority of the film and i think it tries to pull off this kind of like tonal shift in the kind of closing moments where i don't know if it really manages it that well um or if it brings it home the way it would it feels a little jarring i think um Overall, for most of the runtime of the story, I enjoyed it. I I liked watching it and these these character interactions and the way that they uh, played off it. And it's very much a film based in those kind of character complexities, right? Um, and I think it does it very well. I think there's a couple of things it doesn't do great, and I think unfortunately that kind of slight pivot towards the ending without you know without giving too much away. I think there there is a pivot that happens. I don't think it sits particularly great in that respect. Um, but beyond that, I think there's a lot of things that are really good and really well observed and funny. I think watching uh, Leon, the novel's character, procrastinating when he's meant to be kind of like you know this super serious writer, and like watching him just kind of futz about because he doesn't want to confront kind of like his opinions of his own work and this sort of thing. I think that's all fantastically observed. Um, and I think, as I say, that performance really brings that home. So there's a lot I like about it. I don't think it quite came together um, as well as I would like. And to me, that's a little disappointing because I think Transit, which I think was 2018, I think it came out, one of the best films I saw that year. I thought it was a superb film and the way it's constructed is intricate and strange and kind of beguiling in a way and and in a way that this film isn't. It's a very different type of film. You wouldn't necessarily expect it to do it in the same way. But I think for what he was obviously trying to do, it just doesn't quite um, stick the landing as well as I would have liked. Yeah, I could see that from from 
both of what you've said. And um, I you know I, I just thought it was very sensory. I, I agree. Like I, I often say that I don't understand why French films are called romantic comedies when they're like when they're very de often depressing or dramas. But um, I, I found this more funny uh, than a French romantic comedy, but I wasn't laughing out loud. Um, I think it was more that I, I, I saw both of these films sort of together and they were both sort of character studies and dynamics of relationships and sort of both have this kind of sensory, uh, slow muted way of filming, you know, very complex um, dynamics of relationships and that I thought both handled that well and performances were good. Uh, Passages certainly was a stronger uh, film than this one, but I enjoyed it. I will just say, not to be all doom and gloom on the film, I will just say that the, the I guess, the climate change commentary of it kind of rumbling on in the background while while these characters just get on with their lives, kind of oblivious to an extent that is going on, is like quite a, a it's quite an interesting way to way to show it, um, and I think the yeah I don't know I guess the title makes it seem like it's going to play a bigger part in the story than it does. Yeah, I just find overall a, a little bit of a confused film that doesn't doesn't quite have the payoff that I, that I was hoping for. But but yeah, there's there's things to like in it, I guess. Maybe I'll, I'll rewatch it. Okay, so A Fire is playing Tuesday, August uh, 22nd uh, at VIEW as part of the Edinburgh International Film Festival. Um, as we said, there's six days of films happening um, and I, we've, We've all sort of talked about certain ones. I I made a big case for some of the documentaries, um, particularly uh, Your Fat Friend. And I'm really excited about the idea of the Linda Miles project. So I wish I could be there to see that, um, which is that happening that Saturday. Um, so there's a discussion around uh, Linda Miles. And then there's a work in progress documentary by uh, a colleague, a friend of mine, Susan Kemp. Um, how about you both? What films have you seen? Would you recommend? Are you looking forward to? Uh, what what other advice and tips can we give to people when they're looking at this bigger program? So, I, in terms of kind of like the rest of the program, I haven't necessarily seen a, a huge amount. One that I have seen, however, is um, I've been fortunate enough to see Past Lives. Uh, by Celine Song, which is also playing the festival, and I think it comes out uh, very shortly after the festival. But if you want to see it, I think it's worth catching at the festival. Um, I thought it was excellent. I thought it was a superb film. It's a it's a romantic film um, about a woman who was born in South Korea, um, but moved to uh, Canada and then New York. Um, and she's now married, but basically she had this childhood sweetheart who comes to visit her, and her suspicion is that she's come, to, he's come to see her, but he says he's not, and want to reconnect because they kind of attempted a long distance relationship about twelve years after she moved away, and then this section of the film takes thirteen years or twelve years after that. Um, and I thought it was a very smart, intelligent film. It doesn't play out the way that a little bit like um passage passages actually kind of like you know to put to put that. Kind of um, synopsis in you'd have preconceptions about how it would play out, and this film doesn't. And I think it's very, very smartly written. I think it's a superbly written film, and I think the the technical approach that Sailor Song has taken to some of the scenes uh, let that tone develop in a really beautiful way. Um, so I would definitely check out the festival. It will come out, I think, with a 
you know, reasonably wide release, I think, after if you can't catch it there. But he is playing the festival, and I think um, if you want to support the festival, that'd be an excellent choice. I think that's a superb film to check out. Right, and Past Lives is playing on Sunday and Monday, so Sunday the 20th and the 21st of August. Gary? Um, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to Past Lives. I'll, I'll be there on Sunday night to see that. Um, in terms of things I've seen already, I've watched uh, Femme the, the other night, uh, which I found very interesting. It's this story of uh, two men who kind of live their lives um, disguising who they who they really are, and then their paths cross um, um, at the beginning of the film in quite a violent way, and then the paths cross again, and um, the film kind of plays with the changing dynamic between the two the two guys um george mckay who who we usually see as these like nice guy parts and things like sunshine and leaf and pride he he's playing a real a real piece of work in this one he's all uh tattoos and swagger and toxic masculinity so it was um interesting seeing him in a in a role that kind of goes against his his usual type um so i'd recommend that one for his performance um, I've also seen Scrapper, um, which is the debut of Charlotte Regan, that's shown as part of the strand um, of outdoor screenings at the festival. Um, so I think that's, that's on on Saturday the 19th at 6pm, and it's a, a pay-what-you-can screening. I think it comes out in cinemas a couple of weeks later, um, but that, that one's really good. It's about a, it's a father and daughter story um like a young dad uh with like a um maybe like a, a 10 10 year old daughter it's kind of like got shades of um on, on the surface level it's got shades of after sun and that it's a story about a, a dad and a, and a daughter and it's a debut debut film by a director called charlotte so there's like these little parallels but um yeah in terms of the tone and the way that it's uh, plays out they're they're very different films um but I would recommend Scrapper. Um, I think there's a there's a good mix of like these kind of big hypey releases in terms of like passages and past lives, and then there's also um, kind of lower key Scottish films. There's a couple that I'm interested in seeing. Uh, one of which is the, the the strange case of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, which is uh, yeah the cinema version of a of a production that started off as a stage production at the Leith Theatre. Um, mm. I think it, it started as a kind of hybrid cinema um, stage production. I'm not quite sure how that worked, but I'm interested to see how that translates to the to the big screen. And there's a um, young Scottish actor, well, I'll say young, he's maybe like in his mid-20s, um, called Lauren MacDonald, who I thought was really good a couple of years ago in a film called Beats. Um, right. yeah. he's got one. Of, he's got one of the leading roles in this, so I'm interested to see that. Um, there's also a, a thriller called Kill. It's a, another a Scottish, um, Scottish thriller set in the set in the Scottish Highlands. I think so. That that, that looks good. Um, so yeah, a good mix of things in the program. Um, and it's all it's all bunched into six days. Um, but something for everyone, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, check out, obviously check out um, everything you can. They're, they're having outdoor cinema as well. I think there has some interesting pricing structure on that. Um, but I did just notice that um, Iris Sachs is actually speaking with the program director, Kate, 
as part of the book fest book festival meets film festival on Sunday, the 20th as well. So there's a few salons where you can meet some of the filmmakers. And um, if you check out the website, it's through Edinburgh International Festival this year. Um, you'll be able to check out the whole program, download the program, but um, don't forget to check it out and go to a few cinema events um, as part of your fringe experience if you're in town. All right, so that wraps up our show for August. And um, we're, are, are we looking forward to an, a big autumn? I know there's a quite a little bit of whether or not certain films are gonna come in, come out. We have Venice and we have Toronto, but some films are being pushed back, but um, any exciting things on the horizon you're looking forward to? Probably the, the I think it's not until October, but there's a new Scorsese film coming out. Um, that's kind of a, the next huge one for me, I would say, um, before the end of the year. Guys, at the at the time this is coming out, Meg Two: The Trench will be in cinemas. Are you telling me we're not going to see Jason Statham versus the Giant? I haven't seen the original Meg, by the way. I I imagine it's ridiculous fun, but otherwise complete nonsense. But um, in terms of stuff, I'm actually genuinely looking forward to. I think um, you know Gary's pointed out the the Scorsese one that's that's kind of on the horizon. I think beyond that. It kind of depends on whether some films uh, hang around. Actually, there's a couple of interesting re-releases, right? I think um, I think there's like a, there's an anniversary release of Serpico, which is one of my favorite films. So I think if you either haven't seen that or you've never seen it on the big screen, I think that'd be a good one to 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 check out. In terms of kind of like big releases beyond that, I'm kind of struggling to remember a lot of them. But there's a lot of interesting little little films coming out, right? Um, and I think once you get to London Film Festival and then the immediate aftermath of that, there'll be another kind of wave of kind of interesting films to, to check out. In my case, I'm basically just trying to try and squeeze cinema visits in between uh, looking after my daughter, who is uh, wonderful, but is 18 months old, so it's something of a handful. So, yeah, where I can. Um, I'll just chip back in. I just there, One just popped back into my head that comes out, I think, on the 1st of September, and it's the directorial debut of uh, Neil Maskell who's top, top actor, who's been working in, in acting for 20-odd years, and he's finally went behind the camera, and he, he's got a film coming out called Clock and Luder, um, oh, yeah. which is a really interesting little political thriller, like a black comedy. It's got uh, Tom Burke, who's in that, um, who's an actor that I really like. Um, so, yeah, that, that was on a London Film Festival last year, um, and it's finally getting its uh, general release in a um, yeah, in a few weeks. So check that one out if you can. Well, um, that wraps up our show. And thank you both Gary and Jim for joining this month and hopefully see you again in September. Thanks, Amanda. Cheers.